Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. This uh, message is going to be a little bit of a part two to the message that I shared last week as we've been continuing this series on the Holy Spirit. And we've been covering so many different topics. But this morning, I want to talk to you from the subject, Strategies for Living in Victory. Strategies for Living in Victory. Now, I want to confess that I'm not specifically talking about how to engage in spiritual warfare. Um, I'm talking a little bit broader than that, but I do want you to know that there are so many books, YouTube videos, PDFs, Uh, teachings online. You can read about how to engage in spiritual warfare. I want to focus specifically on on one uh, principle this morning, but before we begin, I want to go back just a little bit to last week. Last week, we talked about how we need the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? We need the Holy Spirit because there are certain trials and temptations spiritual challenges, obstacles, all sorts of things in our lives, addictions, struggles, that you and I will not overcome unless it is by the power and might of the Holy Spirit alone. If you've ever been in that situation, do you know what I'm talking about? There's just things in your life that you are no match for unless you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we talked about that last week. So then, as Zechariah 2.4 says, it is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. So there are moments when our power and our might are no match for what we are facing. And so what does that mean? That means that when we're facing certain trials, temptations, addictions, struggles, challenges in the natural and in the spiritual that we don't have any power over, We have the Holy Spirit in us and on us to be able to challenge those issues. And I love this about the Holy Spirit. When your power and your might are no match for what you're facing, you have a Holy Spirit that your challenges are no match for. There's a little bit of a lag. A lag. I'll say it again. When you're facing something that your power and your, mat, uh, your might are no match for, you have a Holy Spirit in you and on you that your situations are no match for. That is why we have the Holy Spirit. Because there are things that our effort alone will not be able to overcome. How many of you know that your willpower, everybody's willpower has a ceiling? There's only so much willpower that we all have. And if you think that you've got more willpower than you actually have, I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and forego your morning coffee and see how far you go with your will. (laughs) How many of you are like, that coffee just gets me through, especially on Monday? So it is the Holy Spirit alone that gives us the advantage over the natural and spiritual obstacles and oppositions that we have or that we face. We have victory in the Holy Spirit. So let's 
shift gears this morning and let's talk about the strategies for victory. If the truth is that we are more than conquerors, then how are we to fight? Remember last week we talked about Romans 8, and I believe that Jill uh, referenced this. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in us. And verse 37 says, in that same chapter, it goes all the way down to verse 37 that says, Therefore we are more than conquerors for those of us that believe in him and those that he loves. We're more than conquerors. It's the Greek word hypernikeo, which means that you win over and over and over again. That does not mean, I think we would all be lying to ourselves if we said that none of us have lost something. None of us have lost a battle. What it means, though, is that the Holy Spirit supplies us with the ability to gain victory in places that otherwise we would not have victory. And so how do we actually engage in fighting spiritually? Well, this morning, it's about fighting with wisdom. It's about fighting with wisdom. One of the things that I find to happen in the body of Christ is we like to have singular approaches to what we're fighting. We focus on one thing without failing to, or fa with failing to consider how broad the things that we're fighting can actually be. Let me give you an example. Not everything that we face in our lives is because of the devil. This is what I'm saying. But in the body of Christ, what tends to happen is we tend to hyper-focus on the adversary and we blame him for everything. And so we need to have strategy, and one of those strategies is having wisdom in how we're fighting. So here's what I want to do. I want to expound on one main spiritual and natural strategy for victory that I believe that the Lord has put on my heart. Now, by I mean, when I say expound, I mean I'm expounding on it. But here is the main point for this morning. Tom, you need to pay attention. I'm kidding. <laughs> Identify the true source of what you're fighting. If you're going to walk in victory, you have to identify the source. You have to be able to know what exactly are you facing. And why do we need to do that? We need to know this because it changes how we fight, and more importantly, who we fight. It changes how we fight and who we fight. We cannot walk in victory if we don't know the true source of what we are fighting. When I was in high school, I know that there are multiple different generations in this room, but um, <clears throat> I'm sure every uh, teenage generation feels this at some point, but I, I kind of classify that my generation in high school were definitely knuckleheads. And when we were in high school, uh, one of the things that would happen from time to time is that I'd be in the middle of class and I need to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom and I'm washing my hands, doing my business, whatever, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the middle, being in the bathroom, somebody flips the lights off. Anybody ever have that happen? Okay. Uh, shenanigans ensued. So now, there are people pushing, shoving, 
wrestling, tackling, grabbing ankles, punching you, hitting you. And the result is it's pitch black. You don't know who it is. So all you're doing is swinging in the dark. Isn't this how it is when you don't even know what you're fighting? All you are doing is swinging in the dark. And here's one of the problems with that. When you swing in the dark, you may be hitting people that actually aren't the source of what you're supposed to be fighting. You got to hear that. Because there are casualties in every one of our lives that have taken the brunt of, of us thinking they're the enemy. And so we're fighting them because we think they're the source. And they may not even be the source. So we got to know what we're fighting because it changes how we fight and who we fight so that we aren't swinging in the dark. I don't know about you, but my kids have a major a blame problem. And by the way, Kent, just so I feel better about myself, uh, that's not only our issue, right? Does anybody else have, did their kid, okay, awesome. Anybody else's kids have a blame problem? But the blame problem is this, it's everybody else's fault but mine. Now, uh, I, in my family, I like to believe that they get that trait from their mother. But that's besides the point. But they'll be fighting each other, and it's always the other person. And one of the things that Allison and I will say to them is, listen, no matter what they are doing, you are responsible for who? Yourself. You, no matter if they're out of control, you need to be in control of yourself. The other sibling isn't the source of the problem. Their own flesh is the source of the problem. And in fighting the other kids, they're actually fighting the wrong thing. That's why that blame game never gets anywhere. See, we have to be able to identify the source of what we're fighting because it changes how we fight and who we fight. Let me give you a couple, a couple of examples of that. We referenced this last week, and, and, and I'm telling you, I could go super deep into this passage, but Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and I'm not going to read through it right now. Uh, feel free to, to take that and look it up for yourself. But Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. They're on a seashore. The disciples get into a boat, and it says, and suddenly, as they are crossing over, a storm rises up on the sea. And one of the things that you have to understand about this that makes it pretty significant is the fact that um, these are experienced fishermen. They know, they can read the signs, they can look out and they can tell whether or not this sea we're about to get into has the likelihood and potential of a storm rising. But nevertheless, in this situation, they couldn't see it. So what does that tell us? That tells us that this was a spiritual thing, manifesting in the natural. This was not just some natural storm. How do I know that? Because of the end result. If you go to Mark chapter 5, and verses 35 through 41, and then you see what happened after that, it was the demoniacs in the tombs that were set free. 
So my firm belief is that this storm that came up in the middle of the, the sea was to prevent the disciples and Jesus from getting to the people that needed to be set free. It came up out of nowhere. And we also see that these disciples, Jesus is asleep. The disciples are freaking out about it. They're pitching bales. They're collecting the water that's coming into the boat. They're throwing it over the other side. And who knows how long they had been struggling by themselves. Watch this. Because they've been focused on the wrong source. They're fighting the, the water. They think the water is the problem. But what happens when they turn to Jesus? Jesus stands up, doesn't even focus on the water. He speaks to the wind. Why? Because Jesus knew the true source of the problem. And when he spoke to the source of the problem, the additional manifestations died down. But how many of us, because we're not truly identifying the source of our problems, we are like the disciples fighting the waves. And we're exhausting ourselves. We're going after these things over and over and over again to no avail, to no, ex so, no success. Here's the point. The point is this. Things began to change the moment the disciples turned to Jesus and said, can you help me in this situation? And what did he do? He identified the real source. He showed them the reality that there is a spiritual realm that manifests itself with natural problems. And in this scenario, let me expose, to, expose you to what's really happening. It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. And he spoke to it. And the wind and the waves died down. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Okay? They were fighting the wrong source. Let's go to another place. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 1. God tells him, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong and courageous. Meditate on the word day and night. And they are in their conquest of Canaan. And so they're going in, and guess what happens? They face Jericho. They don't even fight. They march around. By the way, let's just make it real, 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 real simple this morning. Do you want to have victory in your life? Just do what Jesus tells you to do. They didn't pick up a sword. He said, march around this amount of times. For this long, and at the end, shout. Like, I would have been the ignorant person in the group. That wouldn't have been like, ah! I would have been like, hey! Nobody thought it was funny. It's fine. But the point is, is this. They shouted walls down. How did that miracle happen? Obedience. And they ended up not even having to fight a whole lot because they just did what God told them to do. Now, fast forward, they're getting a little bit of confidence. Hey, this is going to be so easy to walk into the promised land. The next one is a place called Ai. 
they show up and they face AI. And does any Bible scholar in the room know what happened when they faced them? They lost. Uh Uh-oh. We need to go back and figure out what happened. Do you know? This is what's interesting. It wasn't because they uh, couldn't be AI, because they later did. But what they discovered was the real source of the loss. The loss was the result of a man named Achan. And there was a commandment that said, when you, when you go into to Jericho, do not plunder certain things. AI took it upon himself to fill his pockets, thinking, it's just me, that's no big deal, nothing will happen, and guess what? They got their butts beat against AI the first time because of something small that he didn't think was a big deal. The, the source of their problem wasn't AI, it was sin. So in one situation, you have a spiritual realm that's the source, the wind behind the waves. In the other, you've got a sin issue that is what is contributing to your loss. The point is, is we need to know what we are fighting. Here's the truth. If they did not turn to Jesus to identify the true source, they would have continued doing the only thing they knew to do. And then they would have blamed the waves when it was actually the wind. Do you know what, prop, what happens when you don't, you, you don't go to Jesus and seek Jesus until he tells you what's going on? You start to accept your circumstances as your fate. When in reality, they don't have to be your fate. It was when they turned to him. See, how often do you turn to Jesus to identify the real source of what you're fighting? Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 13, about one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. See, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all of the truth. Say all the truth. He will guide you into all of the truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will guide you into all truth. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit will reveal the things that are the source. If it's all truth, it's all truth, including the source and root of the things you and I are wrestling and battling. So there's four questions in asking the Holy Spirit, seeking out Jesus, that I want you to to put into practice. Four questions. You can ask the Holy Spirit. Number one, is what I am fighting from God? That sounds like an interesting one. Is what I am fighting from God? Is it actually from God? Do you know that there are some of the things you're trying to fight against that are actually God? Or sent by God as an agent to transform you? Some of what we are fighting can simply be the consequences of disobedience to God. But then we can blame the devil. The devil is attacking me! Or we're just disobedient. 
it's, I feel this demonic oppression. Or you're outside of the covering of the Lord because you're walking in rebellion. See, when, when, we, when we go to the Holy Spirit, what is the source of what I'm facing? He'll give you some insight. Stop being rebellious. Is what I am fighting from God. How do I know that that is a reality? Let's look at Paul, formerly known as Saul. Saul, in his righteous living, is going to Damascus, thinking he is fighting for God, and he finds out that he is fighting against God. He's on the road. A, a light shines on him. It's so bright, it blinds his eye sockets, and he has to get healing later. And a voice speaks out and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> You're fighting me, brother. It ain't a demon. The resistance you're facing right now is because you are coming against me. Let's look at another example, Acts chapter 5. Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel. And there's a Jewish council. And in this Jewish council, these Jewish leaders gather together and they're trying to determine what they are going to do to Peter and John. And Gamaliel, which was a famous well-known teacher at the time, one of uh, I believe Paul's mentors, speaks up in this moment and he gives them counsel from the wisdom of God. Listen to this. He says, so in the present case of Peter and John, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action in, is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is, is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. Can you imagine from the Jewish perspective how they felt this, this Christian movement in their circles was an attack? If they accused Jesus of driving demons out of people by the power of Satan, what do you think they thought of the Christian movement? This is, there was, there was Jewish prayer meetings rebuking the Christians, persecuting the Christians, and yet, what was happening? The root, the source of their problem was God. There are moments where what we're facing and fighting is actually God trying to get our attention. Okay, the second thing is this, second question is what I am fighting the devil, okay? Don't be so ignorant and Western-minded and rational to think that the devil is not alive and active today, okay? John chapter 10, verse 10, is still true today. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and by the way, I want to let you know this, that the devil is real and he will never take a break. He will never get to the point where he's like, okay, I'll leave them alone a little bit. I'm going to take a breather. No, he will relentlessly over and over and over and over again come at you until what Jesus has purchased on the cross is stolen from you the momentum of your life is killed and your life is even destroyed. 
He loves to make you miserable because he's miserable. He's real and he is about fighting you. Remember 1 Peter verses 5, 8, and 9. 1 Peter 5 says this. It's not in the uh, notes, Corinne, so don't worry about it. Be of sober spirit. I love that. Be sober, which means, hey, you need to be thinking. Don't overlook the reality that what you're facing is rooted in the enemy. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are happening all over the world by the brethren. Is what I am fighting the devil. Now, with all of that being said, I think we could all agree that if there's anybody who gets the most credit for what we're fighting, it's him. Which is why the next question is really, really important. Is what I am fighting actually my own sinful nature? Is what I am fighting actually not a demon, my sinful nature? We don't like this question. That's why nobody said amen. We don't like this question. Here's why. We don't like that question because if everything isn't the devil, then we could actually be playing a larger role in our own dysfunction than we want to admit. We don't consider whether or not it is our own sinful nature because that would requ actually require us to make some changes. Listen to me. It is, if it is always the devil, then that gives us permission to stay the same and blame him for everything in my life. Let me just say this. It is easier to say it's the devil. It's actually harder to admit it's you. So what do we do? We hear sermons about spiritual warfare, that everything is a spirit. I rebuke that cell phone spirit that's waking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm looking at pornography on my phone. Or that's your sin nature. I'm not saying it's one or the other. It might be both. Who are you? It's about you. Is what I am facing my own sinful nature? Listen, if it's always the devil, then that gives us permission to stay the same and blame him for everything in my life. And do you know what that does? That allows me to continue to be a victim. A victim mindset never considers themselves as the source of their problems. It's always something else or someone else. This, the victim says, why did God create me for my life to just be a mess? That's not the reality for everybody. What I'm trying to get you to understand today 
is that what you're facing and fighting is actually broader than how we make it. And it's probably a compilation of all of these together. It allows us to be a victim. And let me just say this right here. If you are a victim of everything and everyone in your life, you will never walk in the victory that Jesus paid for because being a victim never requires us to examine our own need to change. Because it's not my fault. This is not on me. It's... (laughs) I love... I love to hear people's stories about how all of their bosses are terrible. You mean every, Beth, you mean everywhere you go, you've had a bad boss? Or it's you. You're the source of your own problem, and you won't own it because it's easier to be a victim. But if I actually have to ta- if i if it's me i actually have to take some responsibility for what's happening i actually have to say mm, i might be a part of it i want you to hear what paul said in romans chapter 7 this is not in the notes romans 7 god forbid you have to open up your bible <laughs> but romans 7 verses 14 through 20 listen this is Uh, This is Paul speaking. So the trouble is not with the law. So Paul is acknowledging some trouble in his life. (laughs) I love this. This is so elementary. Well, you know, if the speed limit wasn't 65 miles an hour, I wouldn't have got a ticket. It's the speed limit's fault. Who do, I, who do I need to speak to to tell them they need to bump it to 75? Clearly, I am an expert in this department. Paul says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. This is Paul speaking. So if you can't admit this, just leave now. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Do you notice here that Paul is owning his role and his dysfunction? He's not saying it's a demon. It's not demonic oppression. He is owning his role in the battles that he is facing. He's not shifting the blame. Listen, this is something that I want to to say because this is what I think. I think the devil loves to take credit for all your issues because when you give him the credit, you'll be fighting the wrong source and the issues will continue to be perpetuated and you will end up destroying yourself at his expense. You know, if the devil wasn't coming against me and he's like, 
Go ahead, give me the credit. Because you're going to be fighting for And here, hold on, can I tell you what the Holy Spirit just dropped in my heart? If you don't know the real source of what you're fighting, this is what's going to happen. You're going to give the enemy credit, and then you're going to continue to lose because you're not identifying the real source, and guess what? Then that gives him the opportunity to say, see, I told you you don't have any authority. <laughs> I told you you don't have any authority. Look at you naming and claiming it and rebuking me and see you have no power. You're fighting the wrong source. And he's like, go ahead, give me credit for everything. Because that will undermine what you think that you don't have. These are unpopular opinions. Maybe our health issues aren't a demonic attack. Maybe we just have a really bad diet. I'll just go ahead and leave. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Guys, sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Do I need to say it again? Maybe we just have a really bad diet. Maybe the, the donuts aren't demonic. Can I say something? You can pray all day long. <laughs> can I say something best like it's too late? <laughs> you can pray all day long a blessing over that trash on your plate and God will not perform a miracle to extract nutrients from it that don't exist. God, let this pizza be nourishment to my body and the Lord is like, nope. You gave me nothing to work with. Maybe our financial issues aren't because we're fighting a spirit of poverty. Maybe it's because we refuse to practice scriptural principles about money. Maybe our kids don't have a rebellious spirit. Maybe it's that you give them no time, affection, or attention, and their behavior is a cry for what they want from you. Maybe your lust issue isn't the devil tempting you. It's your sin nature that you've got to die to. Listen to what James said. One says about temptation. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Well, that's good. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, say each one, is tempted when he is carried away by demonic enticement. It doesn't say that in your translation. All by his own love. Man, I was looking for someone to blame. By his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be, verse 16, do not be deceived, my brothers. In other words, you are fighting the wrong thing. You're going after a root that doesn't exist. Because that's not the source. So we've got to stop blaming other sources 
for what we are fighting if we want to walk in victory. What's the point? Maybe the reason why nothing is going right in our life is because we have some personal idols that we're serving in our lifestyle that God will not honor and we are receiving the fruit of what we're serving. Maybe our spiritual struggle is because God has given us a prophetic word or a direction that he has clearly told us to go in and our life is a mess because we have Jonah syndrome and we're going the opposite direction. I'm just saying, not everything is a demon. Do you notice that when Jonah went in the opposite direction, and by the way, especially when it comes to what God has spoken to us, when we're not obedient to him, other people are affected by it. The whole boat that Jonah was on going the opposite direction encountered a storm and they were all going to die. Unless Jonah spoke up and said, hey, my bad. Y'all are facing this and you're about to die as collateral damage because of my own disobedience. And he said, I'm going to just go ahead and hop off the boat real quick. And they were spared because Jonah got back on track. But some of us have a Jonah syndrome. Listen to me, walking in disobedience and rebellion to God will feel like you're facing some resistance and adversity. Maybe what we're fighting is just us reaping what we've sown. Maybe our spouse is not the problem, it's our own selfishness. Listen to me. Paul became blind not because he was being demonically attacked, but because he was persecuting God. We have to be able to identify the true source of what we are fighting if we want to walk in victory. Now, number four, fourth question. Is what I am fighting simply because I'm alive and I live in a fallen world? This is the one none of us want to admit. We live in a fallen world. And some of what we're facing is simply because of that reality. We live in a fallen world, infallible bodies with flawed human beings. We live in a fallen world. Jesus talked about this, John 16, 32 through 33. Take careful notice, an hour is coming and has arrived when you will all be scattered, each to his own home leaving me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. This is the amplified version. In the world you will have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, which means be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? My conquest is accomplished, and this is more important. My victory will last forever. In other words, you're going to have problems here. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to suffer. You're going to have trials and tribulations, and that has nothing to do with the enemy. Maybe it's you not fighting God. Maybe it's not your flesh. Maybe it's the fact that you are alive in a fallen world, and you just have to deal with it. But here's the hope. My victories are going to last forever. So, I'm not saying all of your problems are your own sinful nature. 
I'm not saying all your problems are from God. I'm not saying all of your problems are from the devil. And I'm not saying all of your problems are simply because we live in a fallen world. What I am saying is that you and I need to ask the Holy Spirit what the true source of what we're fighting for is so that we can fight well. We just need to know. Is this me? Is this you? Is this the enemy? Or is this just life? One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment. The ability to judge well. To judge the root source of what we are fighting. Because when we know the source, it changes what we fight and how we fight. So when the Holy Spirit reveals the source of the battle, how do you respond? I'm going to run through these quickly. Number one, if it's God, stop resisting him. Repent. Be obedient. Surrender. Humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Exalt you at the proper time. Alleviate you from some of the problems you may be facing because you're fighting me. So, stop resisting him. If it's your sin nature, the only way to walk in victory is to die to yourself and walk in the spirit. There is no magic trick there. Google it all you want. There's a whole bunch of keys that people will suggest. But the road is dying to yourself. Galatians 5, 1 and 16. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Let me encourage you to literally read all of Galatians chapter 5. You want to know if it's you, if it's your own sinful nature, you want to know how to deal with it? Read Galatians 5 and read it over and over and over again because it's about dying to yourself. Sometimes we have to die. But here's the truth. If you're a victim, you'll never die to yourself because victim mentalities will never require anything of you. If it's the devil, resist him with the word of God. I'm going to stop here for a minute. More than attacking your finances, your health, your marriage, or your identity, the devil targets your mind. He wants your mind because Proverbs 23, verse 7 is, as a man thinks, so is he. This is important. Here's why. Why would the devil attack your finances? if he can change how you think about money and then you destroy your own finances? Why would he attack your health if he can change how you think about your health and then you destroy it yourself? Why would he attack your marriage if he can get you to do the work by changing how you think about your spouse? Why would he attack your, uh, your identity if he can get you to think differently about who you are as a son or daughter of Jesus and then you destroy yourself? He attacks the mind because as a man or woman thinks, 
so is he. Another translation says, so they become. So he plants things in your mind. He's after your mind. Romans 7, 23, another scripture that I didn't put here. It says, this, Paul, this is Paul acknowledging this. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. He acknowledged, I know not every thought that comes in here is my own. There is a war in my mind. Therefore, resist him. How? Romans 12, 2, you know it. Renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know why your mind needs to be renewed and you'll never be arrived? Because the devil will, for the rest of your life, be planting thoughts in your head. He's relentless and he will never stop. Now, I'm going to tell you, I could literally go right now into the four Hebrew words about how, the, literally, the step one, step two, step three, step four, about how the enemy attacks you. And I'm not going to because it's going to take us real long. But he's got a strategy, and he will not stop attacking your thought life until he gets a foothold. Do you know what footholds become? Strongholds. Do you know what strongholds are? They, are? they are exalted ideas in your mind that have authority over your thoughts. That aren't even yours, but because you've agreed with the lies of the enemy that are persistent, like dripping water, you give the devil a foothold that becomes a stronghold. He's after your mind. Watch this. He was after Jesus' mind, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes out into the wilderness. He's tempted, and the devil comes after Jesus' identity. Not just one time, twice. Two out of three times, the devil comes for Jesus' identity, 66% of the time. Why? Because he knew that his identity was where his power and authority flowed from. So one first temptation and second temptation is this. If you are the son of God, is Jesus the son of God? Okay, yes, he is the son of God. But what does the devil do? He comes at him by calling into question what he knows to be true. If you are, how does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. What was Jesus doing in the moment? He was renewing his mind because the enemy had planted a seed. The only way you push back on the thoughts is with the word of God. Here's the other part. Guess what the enemy does again? Same strategy. Temptation number two. If you are the son of God. He doesn't, he doesn't challenge something one time. He comes again and again and again because he's looking for a little leak in your mindset. Because he knows once he finds a leak, once he finds a hole, he can wedge himself in there, build a stronghold, and play Monopoly Man and monopolize your mindset. To where... You are now confused about everything in your life. 
And it's because he wreaks havoc this way. So how does Jesus counter the devil? He speaks scripture every single time because he's renewing his mind. And by the way, here's another nugget. He was eating. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's the son of God. He has not eaten yet. So every time he proceeds, every time he takes scripture and it proceeds out of his mouth, he's eating. That's why he said, my food is to do the will of my father in heaven. I don't even need to eat. How did he go 40 days? He fed himself on speaking scripture. And lastly, If it's God, stop resisting him. Repent, be obedient, surrender. If it's your flesh, die to yourself. It's the devil, resist him by renewing your mind with the word of God. And lastly, if it's because we live in a fallen world, learn to suffer well and bring God glory. This is where we don't talk. Because we, we pursue healing 100%. Let me just say this. If you have an affliction, mind, body, emotions, whatever it may be, I want you to pursue healing for it for the rest of your life. But if you never get it, learn to suffer well and still bring God glory. You know why? Because we were made to go to another world. Will everything in this life be healed? No. Because there's a better world. If everything was healed here, if every affliction and disease was settled here, none of us would care about heaven. Learn to suffer well and bring God glory. Well, what about God's will to heal? Listen to what Paul said. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Paul has what he calls a thorn in his flesh. It was a physical issue that caused much pain to Paul, and I want you to listen to what he says. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. What a crazy perspective. That I am tormented by the enemy because of how much revelation I've received from the Lord. And in order for me to not ex be exalted in myself, the, and the God has allowed this to exist. Now, I'm not talking about where this came from. I want you to see what happens after he acknowledges that. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that I might leave me. What is he doing? He's asking for wisdom. Where's this coming from? He's probably naming and claiming it, anointing it, taking communion. He's doing all of the things, all the principles, all of the stuff that Paul knows to do. But what does the Holy Spirit say to him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Most, and here is the result. This is Paul's conclusion. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may still dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, because when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Paul was asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom on how to fight the thorn in his flesh. And the Lord gave him this response. For this thing, your victory is to endure and suffer well. We all have something. We all have something. The question is this. Can you live out the rest of your life with the limp and still give him praise? I love that Jacob wrestled with God and God touched his hip. And the rest of his life, the limp was a reminder that he needed God. We all want healing. I want healing. I want to see people have the healing. I want to see all of these afflictions, diseases, all of these things bow their knees at the feet of Jesus because I know it's true. But if it doesn't happen, can we all just limp and still give him glory? Because we are alive for another life. We are here for another life. Could it be that life is supposed to be so uh, full of all of these disappointments because when we blink for the last time and then open up our eyes, eternity will be so much more amazing. You mean this isn't here either? And this disappointment and this failure, remember, no tears, none of these things. The whole point is this. Could it be that God's greatness is, is so good is that we get to experience all of the flawed things of this lifetime so that when we enter into that, it's so much more glorious. But can we learn to suffer well? There are some battles that we simply have to suffer through and yet give God glory. Suffering is a gift that keeps us dependent upon Jesus. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul suffered and said, man, it makes me turn my heart and my affection toward the day when no longer the suffering will exist. Timothy Keller, a theologian, passed away a couple months ago. And he died of pancreatic cancer. And this is what he said. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become more like him. The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better eternal life. Well, it's not enough faith. Bullcrap. Sometimes it's my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. If you think it's about faith, look at Hebrews 11, 32 through 40, when it says, and yet none of them who held on and walked in faith received the promise that they were believing for. They didn't. Because maybe it's about the fact that the final victory is eternity. No matter what we are facing, 
We need to know where it's coming from so that we can learn how to fight well. Will you stand with me? Listen, I, I know this. I don't. <laughs> people be like, well, he doesn't have enough faith. Okay, fine. I just know what Paul just said. That we live in a fallen world. I, I, I was talking to Beth about this. And I thought it was really interesting. If Jesus was the son of God and he could heal every single person, why didn't he preserve Mary and his father Joseph's life? You ever think about that? Why didn't he just say, you know what? I'm going to raise them from the dead when they pass so they can just live forever here. He let them go because of this reality that no matter how many battles we lose here, we are still going to win. John 16 Take courage because I have over, overcome the world. My victory is eternal. So will we experience victory here? Yes. Will we experience loss here? Yes. It's both. However, we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to give us the discernment to what is actually the root of what we are facing so that we can fight well. We don't just put it all on one source. We ask him for the counsel of the Lord to show us what exactly we're facing. Can I just ask by show of hands, are, is anybody facing something right now? Okay. Can we do this? If you see a hand raised, can you find someone, put your hands on them? Because here's the, here's the truth. Listen, here's the truth. No matter whether or not you know the source, every one of us needs encouragement. Every one of us needs encouragement in the middle of the fight to continue to fight. Come on, this is what families do. We lift each other up. This is why the fellowship is so necessary. Community is necessary. Father, in Jesus' name, for every single person in the room that is discouraged and worn down, that is struggling, Father, I speak prophetically. When they've done everything to stand, still stand firm. God, I pray you would fill them with a tenacity to hold on to the promises of your word, that they would not settle for less than what you died for, that they would not accept fates that are inferior to what you purchased through your death and resurrection. God, strengthen them in the same way that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Strengthen their inner man right now. Fill them with a new energy. Refresh their spirit. Blow upon them the breath of God to fill them with the fight, the tenacity to hold on to the promises. And clear, listen, God, clear every single avenue in their thought and heart that obstructs them from hearing God accurately, from preventing them 
to discover what the real source is. I come against the confusion of the enemy that would want to block them from the wisdom of God, that would want to prevent from what, that would want to keep them fighting the wrong things. God, open up their minds and hearts to clearly hear from you. Strengthen them in the grace and majesty of the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.